0: So today we're going to kick off our brand new series titled The Kingdom Manifesto. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, um, which uh, the word gospel literally means glad tidings or good news, and it was written by Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And so we're reading the Gospel of Matthew. We were doing that for the first four chapters. We spent about seven weeks on that. Um, If you want to go back and uh, cover that ground, uh, we have that on our website, but we're starting a new series today, and we're taking a look at one of four big sections of Jesus' teachings. It's the first section that comes up in the Gospel of Matthew, and the big theme and topic of this teaching is the kingdom of God. And so what we're looking at in this series is to find out what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God and what it means for us today. Compared with all the other writings in the New Testament scriptures, the gospels are the written record of the life and work of a first century rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth, who his followers actually believed was the was God incarnate, uh, God with flesh, uh, skin and bones on, the promised savior of the world and the king of God's kingdom. It's my firm belief that Jesus is real and that Jesus is God, and Jesus is king. And that's the premise of the Gospel of Matthew and that's also my, conviction of well as well and so if you ever wonder what does tim think about this that's my position the premise of the kingdom manifesto this kind of why i'm naming it this is to look at these words of jesus through the lens that jesus is king and that jesus is god and he has a kingdom that he wants to establish here on this earth so that begs a few questions what are his standards what kind of character is he wanting to develop in us and ultimately how do we embody and express these norms and values as recipients and participants in God's kingdom so if you've ever wanted to know what Jesus had to say on a particular issue I believe the answer is found In these chapters of Matthew 5 through 7 that we're going to spend the next while on it may not be as nuanced or clear cut and dried explicit as we might want for Jesus to say for today um, because he was talking to people 2,000 years ago but the topics and issues that are covered really transcend time and space and circumstance and they reveal a picture of God's holy standard. Are you ready? Here we go. All right, starting off our series, the title for today's message is Counterculture. We're going to break this up into two parts. I'll explain why in a moment. Um, We're going to be covering Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring today is that we are blessed when we live the king's way we are blessed when we live the king's way and before we get into all of that a couple of weeks ago me and the family we were at a pizzeria in reedsport it may be the only pizzeria in reedsport i haven't looked too much into it but we went there Um, we were checking out a park because the kids wanted to do some cool tricks at the skate park on their bikes, even though they had no idea what they were getting into. And there was blood, skinned arms, there were tears. There were also lots of exciting laughs. And it was a good time. Now, we went to this pizzeria because it was convenient, because we like pizza, and it happened to be pretty good. It had that really nice, uh, almost cracker like crust oh so good but the big reason why we went to this place above all others is because it had a game place in it like they do at this pizza joint in Milwaukee called Pietro's now I'm going to be real with you guys for a moment it was not nearly as extensive as we're used to Uh, they they didn't have a whole lot there but they had some games and my kids were excited to play those games, so we, we were ultra generous, and we let them play one each. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Maggie, she chose her game, and, uh, which gave you a guaranteed prize. She had played games before. She knew which ones to play and which ones not to play in her worldview. And then she went on to convince my littlest, Owen, to do the same because she said, you're gonna get a prize. But then there was my son, Ruben. Ruben, he, he likes to take his chances, and so he decided to go for the claw machine. Have you guys seen this before, where it's like, I'm sure you have, they're everywhere in different things of life. You have this little joystick thing, and so you control where the arm goes, and the arm goes right above the toy you want, and it, it goes down, and then you pick it up, and then it goes over. Well, as you all probably have guessed, Reuben didn't get a prize, Re- because the the trick of that game is that grip on that claw is not very substantial whatsoever, and so the stuffy that he had wanted to pick up, it didn't even pick it up from the get-go, and so it was a gamble, and so for me i've only ever gotten that maybe once or twice in my life and both times i felt like i won the lottery i felt like the heavens had opened up like god himself spoke and said tim here is your toy and so then you know like whoever gets the stuffy that stuffed animal or whatever object thing they, they have a smile on their face, do they not? They kind of, you know, grin from ear to ear, and they are pretty excited at this reward. And that feeling is the feeling we call happiness. It's a fleeting thing. It's just something that it, it happens. There's a lot of scientific mumbo-jumbo that, that explains all of how that happens and why that happens. But we get that feeling of happiness. And I think that no matter who you are or where you've been in your life, there's one question that we all face at one time or another, and that is the question, are you happy? Now, it may take other forms. It may focus on different things that, that influence that emotion, but in the end, it seems to me like all of humanity is chasing after this answer to this question, are you happy? And the great Romantic writer from the Romantic period, Henry David Thoreau, once wrote, quote, happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will elude you. But if you turn your attention to other things, it will come and sit softly on your shoulder. The legendary songwriter Bob Dylan, one of my faves, was once asked in an interview in 1991, just before he was about to turn 50, if he was happy. And his answer to the question is, it's really interesting. So he says this, he says, you know, these are yuppie words, happiness and unhappiness. It's not happiness or unhappiness, it's either blessed or unblessed. As the Bible says, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now you must be a happy man, knowing that you are the person you were put on this earth to be. That's much more important than just being happy. Some great words from one of the great musical influencers of our time, and a great segue for kind of what we're talking about today, because there's this word in our passage that we're about to read, that can either be translated one of three ways blessed fortunate or happy and depending on the translation you choose to read they may use that that word now the original greek word is used 50 times in the new testament and it mostly describes this condition that's developed in by a person's life in god's kingdom So in the few short verses that we're about to read, to be blessed is to be in a place where you experience God's favor through his grace. And that favor proves to be God's highest good for your life. According to Jesus, to be blessed means being met in our emotions, in being chosen with a kingdom legacy, with complete satisfaction, mercy, intimacy with God, and ultimately becoming more like Him. And it's that Christ-like character that qualifies each of these kingdom blessings, if you will. And with all of this in mind, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Whichever version you choose to read is perfectly fine. If you'd like to follow along, uh, we have the words up on the screen. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord recorded by the Apostle Matthew. So, now, let's get to this business of counterculture for a moment. I use that buzzword on purpose because a lot of you were alive when that kind of got coined, Um, and it it kind of is a, um, it's an interesting word. There are eight blessings for those whose lives show these different character qualities. In Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, it all starts with this contrasting nature of God's kingdom to what the Jews at that time, and even for us today, would expect God's kingdom to be. It reminds me of what is said through the prophet Isaiah when he wrote, for my thoughts, God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For the Jews, they expected the Messianic kingdom to come and rescue them from Roman occupation and restore them to their place among the nations. They expected for the kingdom to come with physical brute force power, but this was not The picture Jesus gave his disciples and the crowd and this is ultimately not what Jesus would show them when he was on the cross. To listen to his teaching must have been awe-inspiring and yet this would have been very challenging to receive because it would go against all that they had hoped the kingdom would have meant. That's why I'm using the word counterculture today. It was counter to their culture and perhaps counter to our culture as well. I believe that Jesus' description reveals this beautiful tension in the nature of God's kingdom. And it's this. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. So as John the Baptist and Jesus himself declared, we read about it a couple of weeks ago, they said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that word near in the original language means that it's now at hand. But even though Jesus came to inaugurate God's kingdom through his earthly ministry, all leading up to his sacrifice on the cross, we experience the kingdom of God today because of all that Jesus did we enjoy the benefits of receiving and participating in that kingdom in part as we wait for Jesus to come back in all of his glory to set all things to right once and for all and that's why we still see the damage that sin has made That's why we still see wrongs committed. That's why people are still walking around with broken lives, in broken homes, in broken communities, in a broken world. In spite of all that, there is hope. Because while we wait, we can taste God's favor here and now and it's through the blessings that we read about in matthew 5 now those blessings full disclosure if you're waiting for god to shower down you know magnificent physical tangible monetary blessings i i I think jesus had a few words for that uh it's not going to go well for you if that's your expectation because that's not, uh, that's not the blessing that we see here. We see that we receive God's blessing through practiced faith. And we're only going to be looking at the first four blessings today. Next week, we're going to tackle the other four. Because as I was going through and I was, you know, planning this out and writing it out, I was realizing, man, there's a whole lot more material here that we need to cover than just to gloss over in one fell swoop and so we receive God's blessing through practiced faith in verses three through six we find four characteristics listed those who are poor in spirit those who mourn those who are meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness welcome to church this morning (laughs) And each of these are called blessed. We find that these traits are not really what we'd expect to hear associated with blessing that comes from God. Because we read promises in God's words like this one from James chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I don't know about you, but I want that good and perfect gift. Amen? Can I get an amen for that? But, but even that promise came after James had just written about enduring hardship and persecution and trial. The favor promised from God is all because of his grace which means that there's something counterculture going on here because it's going against our expectations it's his grace it's not anything that we can do on our own but it's all because of who he is and what he has done all because of his love for us now in isaiah 57:15 it says this the high and lofty one who lives in eternity the Holy One says this, quote, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those poor in spirit are those who recognize their desperate condition and put their hope in the king's grace to be enough for their place in the kingdom. They're the ones who have repented and have redirected, reoriented their lives in pursuit of the king. Isaiah's prophecy reveals a twofold blessing for those who are poor in the spirit. One, that they have residency in the kingdom of God because he says theirs is the kingdom and in light of this prophecy in isaiah it's restoration in the kingdom that god will restore the crushed spirit of the humble those who are humble and contrite now isaiah 61 verse 2 through 3 says this he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies to all who mourn in Israel he will give a crown of beauty for ashes a joyous blessing instead of mourning festive praise instead of despair in their righteousness they will be called great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory in the ancient world there was this practice called putting on sackcloth and ashes and it was a common way of expressing remorse and mourning over a wrong that was committed so whether that was a family member who had been killed and so you're mourning that we see a lot of that kind of activity in the Middle East today they still practice that kind of mourning and that kind of action it was also done if you realized that you yourself had done a wrong. That it was a way of showing, an outward way of showing people that you had remorse, that you had regret for that wrong. And so that's why when Jesus makes the claim that those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, and for they will be comforted, he echoes this word from the prophet Isaiah That those who mourn over their sin will receive beauty and joy from their Lord. And this is not just a promise for new believers. This is for people who were already a part of the covenant. I believe this extends to those of us who have been walking with the Lord for some time. And you know, from time to time, when we look back at life, we have regrets. Regrets. We have remorse over the things that we've said, over what we've done, or the ways we've lived, whether that was before we knew about Jesus or since we've been following Jesus and have been in that process of following him. And it's in those times of regret that we can do one of two things. Either we can see those memories for what they are, and, you know, acknowledge that, yes, I have that memory, yes, I did that thing, and it's a reminder of what we have been saved from, and a time to thank God that we are farther along today than we were yesterday, amen? Or, which is a much more common case, like so many people, we can let those memories fill us with shame, and that shame steals away the hope That God has given us through his grace and that's the choice that's the action that the enemy the devil wants us to do to remind us of those things just this morning I I I didn't tell her this but one of the reasons I have a hard time uh, singing older songs from my childhood um, are because I acted a fool when I was on worship team and so I sing songs like refiner's fire I played that when so all these songs the good that I'm about to say this was like a worship set from when I first started in worship ministry 15 18 20 years ago or so Literally, we sang those exact same songs. Firm Foundation, it was cutting edge, six years old, it was awesome. But I know that I was not right with the Lord at the time. I was I was flirting with sin a whole heck of a lot at that time in my life. And so for me, when I sing songs like these, and and it's something I got to get over, but it's just... It's a reminder for me. It, the enemy comes in and reminds me, oh yeah, that was the time. That was the time when you were, you were having those besetting sins that, uh, that we talked about on Thursday night. We, you, you had yours and, and you were flirting with it pretty hard. So, you know, what gives you the right? to be called a child of God, what makes you so special, what makes you a son of God, and so in those moments, then, the question becomes, will we, will I, fall back in fear, and be like, you know what the, you know what devil, you're right, you know, I, I'm just a no good so-and-so, I'm no good I, I'm just a naughty person, I, you know, I'm such a sinner, I don't even deserve to be here, or anything like that. You know, what fill in the blank, I don't have to remind you of it, but whatever the devil says to you in those moments, that shame that comes, I'm sure you've all experienced it. We can fall back in fear and give in to that, and let that steal away our joy, or we can move forward in faith, in Jesus, who paid with his blood on the cross, with his death on the cross, for that beauty and comfort and joy exchanged for our ashes. Because Jesus reveals to us here in Matthew 5 that he wants to give hope to those who mourn. And I think that you could make a case for it to be something you know, mourning for something other than your sin, that I think that there's definitely a good application for that, and there's a scriptural defense of that. But in the case of just the whole context of what Jesus is talking about, it's that, that remorse for your sin. The Bible encourages us in Second Corinthians saying, so we do not lose heart. In those times, we do not lose heart. Unseen are eternal. We receive God's blessing through practiced faith. And God pours out his love and his grace on our broken and contrite hearts that mourn over our past. And this blessing is our personal and spiritual renewal in Jesus Christ himself. Now, we still have a little work to do. Now in verse 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Every time I hear that, that beatitude, that's what they're called, beatitudes, um, I think of uh, the police, and there's this one, uh, the, the rock group, the police, and they have this song where Sting is singing, and the, or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's this cool thing, total aside, anyway, that's not in my notes. Here we go. I think there's often a misunderstanding for us about this character trait today. The word meek literally means humility and gentleness. In the Bible, it's even used to describe one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, gentleness. And with this understanding, we we assume in our English culture, that the word meek equals weak, like ineffective, inept, like not strong. But in the Greek, this word meek, (laughs) say that three times fast, does mean humility and gentleness, but it also means, it, it has this connotation, exercising strength under control. So to be meek means to submit my power and my strength to God's direction. Meekness happens when, instead of rebelling, we submit to God's will and way for our life. But for a lot of us, to be meek in this way may be easier said than done, which means that we need help. Now, let me ask you the last time you were given the choice to exercise your rights and strength, how did you respond? Did you charge ahead, guns ablazing, with an attitude of, damn the torpedoes, I won't back down? Or did you pause long enough to pray and ask God? which way you should respond the truth is it's easier for us to just give in to that knee-jerk reaction without thinking about it because it's altogether more challenging to choose dependence upon God's direction for me personally I'm I'm not going to go into all the details but I know for me there have been times agonizing times when I have wanted to move forward with something that would boost my ego and flex my abilities and instead of getting the green light God has time and time again given me the red light and told me no or just not yet wait those times are agonizing to go through It really sucks to use a colloquial phrase. But in that place of surrender, our character is developed as we choose obedience to God and his ways instead of rebellion that seems to deliver any outcome that we think we'd rather have. Ultimately, the outcome of our obedience will prove to be God's highest good our lives throughout our life with God as we are being refined more and more to embody God's character and kingdom the blessing is to inherit the earth this promise reminds me of one that's written by the Apostle Paul to his letter to the church in Rome from Romans four thirteen, he says clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. According to Jesus and the Apostle Paul, all of God's people have been brought into a right relationship with God through covenant with Jesus. And those people are sold out all in Submitted to the rule and authority of God's kingdom. Those people whose lives are yielded to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Those people inherit the promised future of life in the kingdom of God here on this earth. And that all leads us to verse 6 that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The people who embody these character qualities, the culmination of their description are people who desire the things of God above all else. They desire for God and his ways like we hunger and thirst for food and drink. It's in the same way as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42 saying, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants My soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Because for the psalmist, like these people and people like them, they have a deep desire for God. They desire God not for what He can give them, but for who He is, the righteous and holy one, glorious in splendor and majesty. He is The God who has every right to condemn you and me. And yet, he pursues us with a jealous, passionate love. And the people described in verse 6 are the ones who see this truth and choose to align their life's pursuit with God and his ways. Which leads us to the big idea verses 1 through 12 that we are blessed when we live the king's way and we receive God's blessing through practiced faith and I would submit to you today that in light of all of that as we come to the table this morning to take the elements together the invitation of the Beatitudes is not to see God's blessings as an end in themselves the blessings merely direct our attentions and our affections to the one who has offered his blessings to us